You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 35 West Shelton Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Jesus Temptations uh, with MLK Sunday. It just happens to fall here. Uh, we started reading our reading in the Gospel of Matthew last week. I couldn't help but see the parallels in these three temptations that Jesus faced with the three evils of society that Dr. King spoke about in his 1967 address that he delivered at the National Conference on New Politics. He spoke about the three evils of racism, excessive materialism, and militarism. The first temptation, turning the stones to bread, the devil is basically saying, use your power to to meet your physical needs. In our society, uh, the power to meet the basic needs of all people has been twisted into excessive materialism and capitalism. Uh, The second temptation, Satan says, throw yourself off the temple in this public place, in the center of power in Jerusalem. Demonstrate your greatness before others so that people know who you are. The angels will rescue you in front of everyone. That temptation to distort his power and act outside of his true nature has parallels of course, to racism. Racism's abuse of power is based on a distortion of the true nature of humanity of all people. And the third temptation, uh, political power, all the kingdoms of the world in exchange for worship of Satan. As a country, we worship militaristic violence and might in exchange for political power or power over others. Jesus is tested by these temptations that humans face across all time. He's not just modeling for us uh, a way to resist temptation. He's actually bringing into being a new kingdom that is an alternative to the kingdom where racism, excessive militarism, uh, materialism, and militarism reign. He is, by example, and by his message, and his embodied life, calling people to live into it with him. This temptation of Jesus happens right after he's baptized. We talked about that last week. Um, His baptism is one of those defining moments, life moments, where everything changes. It marked the beginning of his public ministry, a, a reorientation of his life as a citizen under the kingdom of Rome to the kingdom of heaven. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, saying, the kingdom of heaven is near. This this turning, this living 
into and as the kingdom of heaven is so profoundly different from the Roman Empire and the religious establishment of the time uh, of the time that they would kill him for it within just a few years. So at his baptism, heaven was drawn near. The veil was pulled back. A voice from heaven said, this is my son. I find happiness in him. That beautiful, profound moment when the Spirit of God descended like a dove to rest on him prepared him for what would come next. In the Gospel of Matthew, immediately the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. It almost reads like it's a completion of his baptism. Something about this temptation is necessary and follows after what just happened at his baptism. So it begins where the devil came to tempt him. The devil is referenced in the biblical text um, throughout the New Testament and Revelation. And however you picture the devil uh, as a man with a pitchfork and you know pointy ears, as a, a hooded, cloaked apparition, there's lots of um, illustrations all throughout time in artwork, as a winged creature, uh, let's at least conceptualize together that the devil is the opposition to God, a, a rebel against the fullness and the goodness of God. You might think of it as evil forces that try to get us to do things that are not in our best interest or the interests of others. So the devil comes to Jesus after 40 days and nights of fasting in the wilderness, and this, this idea of 40 days um, harkens back to or connects him to Moses, who also fasted for 40 days and nights on Mount Sinai when God gave him the 10 best ways to live. And also the 40 years of wandering that Israel did in the, in the wilderness. After 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, Jesus was at his most vulnerable point, exhausted and hungry. The CEB translation says starving, literally. The first temptation is for him to use his power to meet his own physical needs. The devil says, since you are the son of God, do this. Turn these stones into bread. You have the power. Just use your power to meet your own needs. He's not doubting Jesus' sonship since you are the son of God. He's testing it. He's testing to see how Jesus will use who he is. Will he fulfill his role and depend on God or will he use his status to work a miracle for himself? And Jesus replied, it is written, People won't live by bread, only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. He's, he's redirecting the concern for his own physical body, which undoubtedly he felt. 
uh, to the word of God, the Torah given by God. He's focusing attention on living rightly according to what God has planned. In the second temptation to throw himself off the temple, again, the devil says, since you are the son of God, But this time, it's happening in a public place. Instead of the secluded wilderness where Jesus had been alone, this temptation is in the holy city, as Aaron read, in Jerusalem, to demonstrate his greatness in front of others, to publicly show who he is, to let other people know who you are. The angels will save you. By the end, the angels do come to attend to him, but... Uh, The devil has clearly learned something from the first interaction with Jesus. Because this time, the devil quotes scripture. He quotes Psalm 91, 11 and 12, by way of tempting him. He takes scripture that Jesus is using and he twists it. For it is written, I will command my angels concerning you and they will take you up in their hands so you won't hit your foot on a stone. This little battle back and forth of scriptural interpretation between what Jesus is quoting and what Satan is trying to get him to do um, reminds us that knowledge of scripture doesn't just ensure proper use of it. He quotes it in ways that go directly in opposition to the ways of God. Jesus replied, again, it is written, don't test the Lord your God. Again, he's quoting Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, 16. Don't try to force God to do anything. It's God's decision to act. So he won't do anything for his own importance. And then the third temptation, on the high mountain where they can see all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory, Satan says, I'll give you all of these if you bow down to me. Worship me. Bowing to Satan is fundamentally incompatible with what Jesus has come to do. Bring a new kingdom? Yes. Rule over all the kingdoms of the world granted to him by the one who demands his worship? No. Jesus had just declared his allegiance to the kingdom of heaven through his baptism. He will not now establish his kingdom by worshiping another. So Jesus responds, go away, Satan. He's quoting Deuteronomy again, Deuteronomy 6.13. That guides him to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. After that, the devil left him. Then, after he's resisted the very human temptations to meet his physical needs, to obtain public recognition or prestige, to have power over others, after he resists all of that, then the angels come and tend to him. His needs are met by God. He does not act in ways that undermine his own purpose for being there. I just finished reading this book called White Too Long, The Legacy of White Supremacy in American Christianity by Robert P. Jones. 
he painstakingly demonstrates uh, through historical events and research and stories how deeply racist attitudes have become embedded in the DNA of white Christianity identity over time. The theology that was constructed to support it and the political power used to maintain it. And he calls for an honest reckoning and repentance and repair for all of that. I just finished this book yesterday, so I'm still digesting um, what I've read. But suffice it to say that the white church in America has been tempted by and succumbed to all of these temptations, as MLK clearly spoke about. History shows that white Christianity has used power to work for themselves, rather than demonstrating love as the power in the, uh, of the kingdom of heaven. White Christianity has developed an organized theology that focuses on personal sin rather than systemic and public sins. So it's not just been complacent or complicit in racism, capitalism, and militarism, but as a dominant cultural power in our society, has constructed and sustained a project of protecting white supremacy and opposing black equality that has been a part of our whole American story. And that has morphed and changed in different forms over time, over the decades. But bowing to what is not of God, White American Christianity has exchanged the fullness of humanity for a lie and for power over. There's a lot to say about that. Like I said, I'm still digesting um, and learning myself, but I keep coming back to Jesus' temptation. He resisted all of these things, not because he was superhuman. He was actually tempted. He was actually human. He was actually starving and probably at the edges of what his physical and mental and spiritual self could sustain. And what kept him alive to resist in this moment was the word of God and the presence of God. He had presumably poured over the Torah and the prophets and took in that teaching uh, throughout his life the, the best ways for living with God as he grew up. So when he was ready to de declare the kingdom of heaven is here and publicly minister, he was filled up. He had that ready in his heart and mind. He was baptized and the spirit of God descended to rest on him in an act of allegiance to the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven which, as I said earlier, is in opposition to the kingdom of Rome. So in, in his temptation, Jesus resisted what we must resist. He showed us there is another kingdom come into which we follow him when we resist the temptations of the world. There's another way. And it began with heaven declaring, you are my son in whom I am well pleased, or in whom I find happiness. 
Jesus' belovedness was his starting point. He was able to identify, to see what Satan was doing and resist it out of his belovedness. Our belovedness is the starting point for our resistance too, for being kingdom of heaven people. We don't get there through guilt and shame and condemnation. So I want to invite us today to think together in just a few moments for talkback about that kind of belovedness. Do you think that people are similarly beloved by God today? In what ways do you experience yourself as dearly beloved by God? How does it feel to think that God finds happiness in you? And then what do we do with the history that precedes us and is baked into the DNA of white Christianity? There's lots to consider together, but let's just take a few moments of silence and give it some space, and then you can talk back. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.